Well, good morning again. It is so good to be back with you. I want to answer a, a question before, uh, before it is asked of me, I guess, that uh, I know that some of you are going to be wondering about this wonderful glow that is about me. Um, I can tell you how to get it, okay? It's a mixture of a, a few things. Uh, this glow comes from uh, sun around the equator, you know, Ecuadorian sun, mixed with like a thousand percent DEET uh, bug spray and some sunscreen, and somehow that combination comes together, and it looks lovely, I think, you know. <laughs> but I, I may just be arrogant and vain, I don't know. But uh, you can look around uh, if you want to know who went to Ecuador. We're the ones a little radiant this morning because of that. But that's, uh, that's part of it. Uh, for those that went, uh, man, it was a joy, but as a preacher going, it was quite an experience. Because whenever I say we go to Ecuador, we went, we went to Ecuador, what I mean by that is uh, we went on a mission to Ecuador. Uh, we went on a medical mission to Ecuador. Now, as a preacher, you may realize that I fit like very little of, of the category of the people that you would think to send on a medical mission to Ecuador. Here's the thing. I am not in the medicine field. You do not want me in the medicine field. I know that. I don't speak the language. I don't speak Chachi, and I don't speak um, Spanish. So I felt going that I was going to be pretty useless. But I figured if Dick Freeman can go, then probably I can join him. All right? <laughs> no, uh, I was honestly, you know, a little question of whether I, what usefulness I would be. And then I got there, and I found the work to be done. But I got to tell you, the story of my first day. I'm not going to tell you all stories about Ecuador, Ecuador today. I just, uh, and I don't even have slides, PowerPoint, pictures. I got nothing because you know what? I just got in yesterday and I spent the whole day with my girls because I missed them. And so y'all get the leftovers and that's part of it this, <laughs> this week. But I got to tell you this story. So we get there and we finally get packed and then Sunday morning was our first real day at Kum uh, Kumani. And uh, we had... Um, worship service, and then after that, a few uh, went on a boat to go to another worship service. I decided to stay behind because I knew I wouldn't be of help there, and the pharmacy needed help dividing up pills and, and, and getting things uh, checked and whatnot else, and so I was like, I can do that. So I go over to the pharmacy, and they're checking um, expiration dates. This is e easy. Dates are in English. <laughs> all right. So I pick up, a, uh, pick up a bag, and what you do is it's full of all these other bags, of medicine, and you check the expiration date, as, as many of that you can see, and if it's good, you write it on there, and then organize it of the ones that are expiring soonest, go on the front, and you know, it makes sense, right? This is easy job. This is something Mitch can handle. I'm going at it, and I'm in the mode. I'm picking up a bag, looking at it, checking, checking it off, and picking up another bag, and there for a while, and then I notice there's one box that we haven't done yet, so I head over to this box. I pick up one bag, and Check it all, and everything's good. I pick up the next one, and it was a bag of lice combs, and I'm looking there, and I can't find the expiration date. And then it dawns on me. These are lice combs. They don't expire. So I had the mistake of telling those in the pharmacy what I just did. No one would have known it, seen it, but then every time that they passed out a lice comb, you know, they laughed about me, you know, the preacher from Western Heights. I'm like, all right. So when you start in a place that is completely 
out of your element, where do you go from there? Well, you can only go up, in my, in my opinion, whenever you start there. But have you ever been in one of those places that was out of your element, that you just didn't fit in, or you were very obviously and clearly not from around here? That may be happening in your travels. Maybe it's uh, you travel to vacation or you travel on a mission trip or you travel for whatever and you find yourself in places like Ecuador uh, where a six-foot-four white guy stands out just a little bit. Um, or you find yourselves in places like uh, Paris or Rome. Whenever you don't speak the language, you might stick out a little bit. You might fit in. Uh, you, some of you are, uh, have gone on business trips to like, places like Dubai and you're going to stick out um, all over the world. You don't know the language. You don't, you're not from around here. Some of us feel that way when we head to places like Chicago, New York, San Francisco. You don't fit in. You're not from around here. Or even if we just cross the river and head to Oklahoma, and not from around here. And I'm all right with that. You know, there's an Okie speaking, so I can, I can say mission work needs to happen in Texas too, so all over the world. But here's the deal. When you don't fit in, when you don't feel like you're a part of it, whenever things are seemingly you're the outsider looking in, that can be a difficult spot. It can be a hard place to be. But I believe it's often where we're called to be, to be out there, to be in the places that aren't as comfortable to us because God never really promised us a comfortable life. He promised us a good life. And that good life is not always found in what we think it should be found. With the lazy chair and with the remote control in my hand, we may think, well, that's where it's at. And God's like, no, no, you're missing the point. You're missing the mission. You're missing the plan. We travel to foreign places for a lot of reasons, don't we? Sometimes we travel to these foreign areas for uh, vacation. Sometimes we travel for work. Sometimes we travel for mission. But I want you to realize that every time that you travel to a foreign place, whether across the world or just across the country, you do it for a reason. You do it for a purpose. You would not leave your own place, your own comfort home, your place where you know, where people know you, you wouldn't leave it if you didn't have a reason, right? Scripture gives, uh, people are on the move all the time through Scripture. And there's always a purpose. There's always a purpose Oftentimes, whenever we look at the Bible, God is calling people to leave where they're at, leave their homeland, and go to the place where I'm going to show you. This is most clearly seen in Genesis 12 with the call of Abraham. It's like that's how the language goes. The language is like God talks to Abraham. Abraham is in his city, uh, in his homeland. He's in the place that he knows there in Ur of the Chaldeans. And God speaks to him and says, Abraham, pack it up. Leave this city that you know, leave your people behind, and go to the land I will show you. God didn't even give him directions. God didn't even tell him what, what it's going to be like, uh, how he'll know it. Whenever he gets there, he just says, you will. I will show you. And this is why Abraham is the first of the heroes of great faith uh, in the story there of Hebrews 11, because it took great faith 
because he understood there was a purpose involved. What was the purpose? Not just to relocate Abraham. God had a big purpose in mind. God was going to bless Abraham and his children to be a new nation, a nation that God would call his own. From Abraham, the whole world would be blessed. There was a purpose involved with this move to a foreign land. Now we see it clearly with Abraham, and as much as uh, many sermons as I could preach about that, I want to talk about another person that God asked or told to go to a foreign land. But it was for a different purpose. This purpose was to go and hide. Part of the reason I want to talk about it is because I love how this story goes, is that sometimes, you know, we focus so much on being bold for Christ and being, uh, you know, just unashamed. But there are some stories in Scripture where God says, hey, get out of Dodge. Go and hide for a little bit. Let things kind of simmer down. I'll call you back, but go hide now. This is one of those stories. It's found in 1 Kings 17. Again, no... No scriptures, nothing up on the screen, so if you want to turn in your Bibles, uh, that is fantastic. Or you can open up the little Bible app and uh, swipe there, and you'll probably beat everyone else, as if this were a race, I guess. First, First Kings 17, we read the, the beginning of the ministry of the prophet named Elijah. Now, I find Elijah really fascinating because we know virtually nothing about where he came, well, we know where he came from, but we don't know anything about who he was before God called him. We just know he was listening. Because the way it starts off in, in 1 Kings 17, 1, it says, now Elijah, who was from Tishbe in Gilead, and that's it. That's all we know about Elijah. He's from Tishbe in Gilead. He's not there anymore because God called him out on a, for a purpose to go do something. I just love that because sometimes, the, the, and we know later on that Elijah becomes like one of the biggest prophets of the Old Testament, one of the guys that everyone looks to, to know in the Old Testament. And he came with no story. He came with no background. And God used him in a powerful way. So now Elijah, who's from Tishbe and Gilead, told King Ahab, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, the God I serve, there will be no dew or rain during the next few years until I give the word. Now, we need to understand a little bit of background here. Ahab is not a good dude. He's king of Israel, and the previous chapter tells us how bad he was. It says this in uh, 16 verse 30. It says, Ahab did what was evil in the Lord's sight, even more than any of the kings before him. Ahab put all the other kings in their wickedness to shame. They were like the good guys compared to Abraham, Ahab. Ahab was such a bad king. If that weren't enough, he married, he married a woman named Jezebel. Ever heard of her? There's a very good reason that there's very little, very few people named Jezebel today. You don't curse your kid with that name typically because Jezebel is a bad it's a connotation of a bad female because she was. She was horrible. You can read accounts of what she was doing and how she influenced King Ahab to do horrible things. You're like, wow. The nation of Israel was under the leadership of probably two of the most wicked people that you could think of in this time for sure. 
Ahab and Jezebel. And so whenever Elijah shows up with no background, with no credentials, he shows up in the king's court and pronounces this judgment. His judgment is, there will be no rain. Now that sounds like a silly judgment. It sounds more like a, just a sign, just a, something. But really what's happening is um, during this time, the Israelites were, were not, they were worshiping God kind of. You know, they had their place. They had like their Sunday morning, well, it, they had their Saturday night worship service for God. But all the other days, they were worshiping every other God. Uh, the one true God was just part of the, uh, of the pantheon of gods that they would worship. And so one, uh, s- several of their other gods that they would worship were the ones of fertility and the ones of crops and the ones of rain. So whenever Elijah comes in and says, it's not going to be any rain, not even dew is going to come on the ground till he says, I give the word. What he means is whenever God gives a word to me, till I say, you're about to know that there's a judgment upon Israel because your gods that you're trying to worship, they hold no power. Simply God's word can refuse rain. For three and a half years, we find out later. Three and a half years. We went to a Last week, we were with several people uh, on the medical mission that were from Am- Amarillo area. And Amarillo has been, it's, it's one, of, right now, that whole area is one of the worst droughts. I, I haven't checked if they got rain last week. But before we left, um, it was one of the worst droughts on record that they were in. And it's already a dry place out there. But that still is not even a full year of no rain. Three and a half years. Can you imagine? Maybe some of you are a little sopped in right now. You're like, we could use a drive spell. But you don't want that. Three and a half years. No rain. This was a judgment upon the wickedness of Israel. So Elijah drops this, this bomb upon, uh, of judgment upon uh, the king's court, and then he hightails it out of Dodge. He gets out of there. In fact, that's what verse 2 says. Then the Lord said to Elijah, go. Go to the east and hide by the Kareth Brook. Go and hide. It's not a message you hear too often from the Lord, but it's in there. Go to the east and hide by the Kareth Brook, near where it enters the Jordan River. Drink from the brook and eat what the ravens bring you, for I've commanded them to bring you food. God has taken care of Elijah here, because he knows exactly what would happen whenever bad news comes to a bad king, he does bad things to those people. And so he wants to protect his servant, his prophet. So he says, get out of there. Head to this brook. So he does. And it's really cool because uh, the ravens come and feed him. Like God is really taking care of Elijah. But you know what happens next? You know what happens in a drought? <laughs> the rivers run dry. And that's what happens. The brook dries up. So then God calls his prophet to another place of protection, and and it's actually in a foreign land. He says this in verse 8. Then the Lord said to Elijah, Go and live in the village of Zarephath, near the city of Sidon. I have instructed a widow there to feed you. All right? Now this widow lives in the city of Zarephath. It's a small village outside of the city of Sidon. Now, I don't think this is a coincidence. Jezebel 
the evil queen, is from Sidon. And I don't think it's a coincidence that that God tells his prophet to go on the outskirts of the homeland of the evil queen that he's running away from. I think there's something going on here. That may be the very place that Elijah would never have wanted to go, but he says, go there, because there's a widow there. Again, this is weird. Widows typically can't take care of themselves in that, that culture. Um, how could he take care of a prophet? Nope, there's a widow there that I have instructed to take care of you. So he goes. Let's continue the story. Verse 10. So he went to Zarephath. As he arrived at the gates of the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks, and he asked her, would you please bring me a little water in a cup? As she was going to get it, he called her, and bring back a bite of bread too. All right. Verse 12. But she said, I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house, and I have only a handful of flour left in a jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of a jug. I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal, and then my son and I will die. Can you imagine her situation? Can you imagine the kind of moment and the realization that she had waking up that morning. When she went to the cupboard, knowing that the flour and the oil were getting low, she looks in there and she realizes what she's known was coming for a long time. This is it. This is the last meal. This is it. I'm going to go grab, grab some sticks. I'm going to go knead this bread with the oil. I'm going to go make my final meal. And my son and I are going to die. Can you imagine? That's her morning. And as she's going to gather these sticks, she runs across this man that asks for a cup of water. Her first response, no problem. Cup of water, I got. She heads to go get that. And then he calls out and says, hey, how about some bread too? Can you imagine the sting that that must have all of a sudden had in her? Now she knew something that I'm not sure fully how she knew it except the previous verses that say, I have prepared a woman to take care of you, a widow to take care of you. But she, she says, I swear by the Lord your God. She knew who Elijah worshipped. She may not have known Elijah, but she know, knew the God that he worshipped. This, it, I can't even put myself in her shoes. Even after last week and seeing what I saw, I still can't fathom where she's at. I just I have a hard time seeing that. Then Elijah says this to her. Don't be afraid. Go ahead and do just what you've said, but make a little bread for me first. Wow. Go ahead. Go ahead and do what you've said. In other words, gather the sticks. What you've said is gather the sticks, go make your bread, and go and die. But first, <laughs> give me some of the bread. Who does that? Who asked, 
a widow who is ready for her last meal to give me a piece of your last meal. Elijah doesn't stop, thank goodness. He says this, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. There will be always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and grows crops again. Okay, I'm glad Elijah didn't stop because before that point, he's just being a jerk. But he knows something. His response was a question of faith for this woman. Can you imagine how much faith it must have had to hand over the bread that you were preparing for your last meal to give it to someone else so that you can die earlier? Can you imagine so much faith that she must have had? Because, it continues and said, so she did as Elijah said. That's tremendous faith. And she and Elijah and her whole family continued to eat for many days. There was always enough flour and olive oil left in the containers, just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. God comes through. He provided for Elijah whenever he first ran and hid by the brook. But whenever the brook dried up, he provided another opportunity for the remainder of the three and a half years through a widow in a foreign land that had nothing. Because that's how great our God is. What little you have is a whole bunch in God's hands. I love the story of provision here. And I love just the thought of going on. But Jesus, when it references back to this story, whenever he's teaching in the synagogue early in his ministry, he refers back to this and he opens my eyes up to something that I would have missed had I just read 1 Kings alone. Maybe I would have caught it. Maybe someone would have pulled that out. But Jesus pulls it out first for me. Luke 4 is where we're heading now. Luke 4, 23 through 26, if you want to turn there. He is, uh, Jesus is early in his ministry, and he is speaking in the synagogue of his hometown. He knows that, uh, that really all they want from him, they just want to see him work his miracles, do some signs and wonders among him. They don't care that Jesus has claimed to be the Messiah. They don't care that he's the Lord. They had just come for the show. And Jesus knows this. this. He knows their hearts. He knows what they're asking. He knows what they want. And so he answers their requests to see a sign with this. He says this in verse 23 of Luke 4. Then he said, you will undoubtedly quote me this proverb. Physician, heal yourself. Meaning, do miracles here in your hometown like you did in Capernaum. But I tell you the truth, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. And here's the kicker. Certainly, there were many needy widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the heavens were closed for three and a half years and a severe famine devastated the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them. He was sent instead to a foreigner, a widow of Zarephath in the land of Sidon. Whenever I read through the story in 1 Kings, I never had really thought about the whole fact that he was sent to a foreign widow. There's a really good chance that there were local widows 
that could have used God's provision. And then I begin to think, well, man, God's a jerk too. Wouldn't God who, this God who called, okay, that's tongue in cheek. You just need to realize someone's going to edit that little section out of my sermon and post it somewhere. Don't do that, please. I think that sometimes, but here's the deal. All that's going on, God called Abraham out of, the, uh, out of Ur to make a nation, and then why would God not continue to provide for that nation that he calls his own? Back in 1 Kings, the whole story, the whole thing is about faith in God and who has it and who doesn't. King Ahab and Jezebel are on the throne, and they don't have a faith in God. Elijah doesn't have a background, but well, that we know of, and he has full faith in God. He is sent to a woman in a foreign country that has immense faith in God. And if you read from 1 Kings 17 and going forward, you can look a little bit behind, but you see the predicament that all of Israel was in. They were a faithless nation during this time. And so God, through his provision, sends his prophet to a people of faith, even if they're in the evil city of Sidon. I love this story now because what Jesus is pulling from, and and the first thing is saying, look, I have come not just for my own people, but I have come to make all people my own. I have come so that the foreigner will be welcome at the table, and there'll never be a foreigner again. The whole key to this story is faith, that God will take care of people of faith, wherever they may be found. Whether it's this poor widow on the outskirts of an evil city, or this foreigner who's trying to seek to do what's right, all throughout Scripture you see Jesus trying to welcome in people who are considered outsiders, who are considered foreigners. He's trying to welcome welcome them into the table. Throughout the book of Acts and all the writings of Paul, you see the same thing. He goes first to the children of Israel. He goes and, and talks to the Jews in the synagogue. And when he's rejected there, he heads to the Gentiles and presents the message, the good news that is for Everyone, no nationality can claim that they have it all themselves. Whether gringo, chachi, black Ecuadorian, the, ones, the three that I saw this past week, I guess we even saw a European or two, nor American, nor Jew, or whoever can claim we have sole exclusive rights to God because God is not like that we have this ingrained within us to think of us and them that we go on mission to them that it's an us and them mentality even in our churches we're like we us we gather here and they out there have it wrong and whenever they come in here they don't always feel welcome you know why Because we have defined the lines by saying us and them. But God's word 
should indwell our hearts so much to bring us together to where there's no longer us and them, native and foreigner, but there becomes an us together, a we, because we all are citizens of the kingdom of God. Now back to uh, my pharmacy story uh, this Sunday, this past Sunday, while I was helping, uh, you know, checking expiration dates on lice combs and all the, you know, meaningful work there, the group... Uh, a group of people went up the river for an afternoon worship service. And uh, Carmelo got to preach there, right? Okay. So Carmelo goes, because, you know, he speaks the language. He's actually useful um, on these trips. And uh, he's a useful preacher on these trips, I guess. And uh, so he goes and he preaches. And I come back, they come back to tell stories of Carmelo baptizing two people there. When we did our medical mission, we served a thousand people. I kept track of everyone. No, I checked the tally at the end. But a, a thousand, over a thousand people came through the medical mission. That's impressive. And that's good. Two people for sure were added that we know of right now were added to the kingdom. And that is great. That's why we go. That's why we go wherever God sends us because the purpose is not just to meet some needs, although that's great. The purpose is to share the good news so that them become one of us in the kingdom of God. And there's nothing better. There's nothing better to know standing here with you this morning that there are other Christians across the world that are part of your family. You may not even know them, but isn't that awesome? Whenever God calls us to go out in all the world, to preach the good news, to teach everyone all of these things, to obey all the commandments and to baptize them, to make disciples, he is telling us to expand his family wherever they may be found to where there is no foreigner among us. Now a group of us did that in Ecuador. You heard last week how that is happening in a children's home. The week before, you heard of how that was happening through World Bible School. Before that, I preached a series on that same idea. The reason you've heard about it so much is because it is good news that everyone is invited. So this morning, you're going to run across. As you head off to lunch, as you go in about your day, as you do the things you may be thinking, hey, I am not the one that went to the Ecuador. I am not the one that went over here or to do that. But I'll tell you, God is still calling you to leave the comfort zone of where you're at and head to the place where he is calling because he has a widow or he has a person that needs to hear the good news from you and you're the only one that can do it. Or at least God is calling you right now to do it. Maybe you're not the only one. Maybe there is someone else, but don't be passed by on this. Because if you say no to God, he will, he'll find another way, but you'll be left out. And you will be the foreigner in the end whenever things really matter. You won't be a citizen welcome, into the heaven, welcome through the gates entering into heaven. You'll be on the outside looking in, and that's the one time that you never want to be a foreigner. So I don't know where you're going today, but I know this. Go with God and make sure, make sure 
that you aren't missing the widow of Zarephath, or you're not missing the person who needs to be welcomed into God's family. Keep your eyes open. If you're here this morning and you felt like that foreigner, you felt like you weren't accepted, but you want to be a part of a group of people that are really trying their hardest to not not let any prejudice into our hearts. We're really trying not to have any dividing lines. We don't always succeed, but we're trying, and we're getting better and better with God's help. If you want to be a part of a family that will truly welcome you, be a part of God's family that has an eternal impact. We want to welcome you to get to know Jesus the way that we know him, as our Lord and Savior, to put him on in the waters of baptism, to become one of his children and a citizen of this wonderful family that we call the church. If you're in need of that this morning, if you're in need of prayers, we want to let you know we are here for you as a family. Just let us know what you need. Would you come as we stand and as we sing together? Heart that 